0: Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. All right, all right. Well, it is good to be with you today. Let's see if this is going to come on for me. It is not. All right. Well, I'm Pentecostal. We'll be all right. Um, We are in uh, week six of our series, uh, uh, The Magnificent Seven. Uh, with that same subtitle, Why God Chooses um, Questionable People to Do Remarkable Things. And uh, I hope that this series has been helpful for you. i got to tell you, uh, I've waited to do this series for several years, uh, and it has been something that was on my heart for a long time that I did not uh, believe would actually ever come to fruition. And then finally, uh, yes? Oh, sure. And then finally... um, the Lord opened up the opportunity, the time, the moment where this would fit, and it's really blessed me in my time of the Word and in my time in study, and so I hope that it has actually blessed you as well, and I pray that as we continue this series that you will take your time to try and see where God is ministering to you through His Word in this moment in a powerful way that transformed your life. Now, as always, if you have any questions, please feel free to text "sermon question." to 9-4-0-0-0. Uh We love to be able to answer your questions. It is, again, a gift for us to be able to do that and to continue to engage you beyond this moment, uh, not only in your walk with Jesus, but with the Word of God. Uh, with that said... We provided sermon notes as always, so scan that QR code, and uh, that'll take you to the Bible app event for today, Uh, and of course, again, as I say every single week, uh, please take this beyond this moment. This is not uh, just about sitting in rows on one day, uh, eating one time. Uh, Follow the analogy. If we only eat once a week, we're going to starve, so... Here's your opportunity to go out of this room and re-engage this message, this moment, this text, beyond this moment. Now, uh, today we're going to be talking about heretics. And when you hear the word heretic, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I want you to think about that. Uh, The technical definition is one who uh, denies a central doctrine to the way of Jesus. And as I thought about that definition and and where we're going in our time today, if it's so significant to deny a central doctrine to the way of Jesus, how much more significant to deny Jesus? Jesus himself. In fact, uh, for those of you who are data nerds, it may be interesting to you as it was to me to know that some 70%, somebody get your mind around that, 70% of people who say they follow the way of Jesus do not believe that Jesus is the only way to God, even though Jesus said he was the only way to God. Add to that those who say that they are followers of the way of Jesus, but they behave in aberrant ways, i.e., evangelicalism slowly morphing into its own religion that is more concerned with politics and power than it is with love, gospel, grace, and Jesus. So this is the world we're navigating. This is the world we're navigating. What does it look like to live a life that you say you follow Jesus but deny him? And, And secondarily, if you deny him, can you come back from that? We're going to try and answer that question in the life of, at least for the church folks, everybody's favorite apostle, my man Peter. And so today, if you want to follow along with me, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel, some in John's gospel, but mostly in Matthew's gospel to follow the narrative. And here is the scene that we'll start with. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it before all of them, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he went out to the porch... Another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders continued to notice Peter there. And they came up and said to Peter, certainly you are also one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the rooster crowed, and then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. The word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of your word and the nature of your word and the grace of your word and the glory of your word. And we pray for the transforming work of your word now in our hearing. May the meditations of my heart. And the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. And might we be fully delivered under the mighty hand of the living God today in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, As Dave Grohl once crooned, I've got another confession to make. It's a part of our church culture. Um, There we go. I have denied Jesus. And I've denied Jesus more times than I can count. And I've denied Jesus in in grotesque ways. I've denied Jesus in what many people might not consider significant ways. But one of the ways that stands out to me most happened back in 2018. Uh, I had been traveling quite a bit as I have been traveling quite a bit this month. And and, uh, you you can probably hear the tiredness in my voice. Uh, So y'all pray that I make it through the rest of this day because I've got a lot more talking left to do. Uh, And I had been traveling and I was tired. I was very tired. I was overtired. Uh, Most because I was leading a life that was overpacked. Anybody identify with that? Thank you for your honesty. Okay. An overpacked life is not an abundant life. We'll just put a pin in that for now. And so because I was overtired, I I, I became more reclusive, right? I'm an introvert by nature. And, And the more tired that I get, the more I pull away from people. And so, as I got on this flight back from the West Coast, all I wanted to do was sleep. Now, everybody here, I'm sure, knows the international sign of leave me alone in public places. Over-ear headphones. Now, earbuds, meh. Beats, can't even see them, right? The ones that Delta provides, everybody knows you can hear through those and that they barely play the stuff that's on the screen. But when you see over-ear headphones, that person does not want to be bothered. I don't want to be bothered at the gym. I don't want to be bothered on the plane. I don't want to be bothered in the Delta Lounge. I don't want to be bothered. This is what I'm saying to you. Please leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) So I had my over-ear headphones on, and I sat down in my seat, and I went. (laughs) And I was going to go to sleep. Well, the flight attendant decided to start talking to me. She actually, I cannot make this up. She actually tapped my headphones. <laughs> I know you from somewhere. Now, at first I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> that life then caught up with me again. But, that pre-Jesus life. And I said, ma'am, I don't think you know me at all. She said, no, I know you from somewhere. She said, "Um, are you on TV? Now, Y'all may or may not be surprised by this. Many places I go, people either think that I'm an actor or an athlete or some combination of the two. I don't know why. Uh, especially when I travel with Pastor Doug, they think he's like the front man of a rock band. I don't know why. It, it is I no, mean, nah, you know, it's probably because the shirt's unbuttoned to his navel. But <laughs> either way, everywhere we go, people think that we're somebody we're not. My wife can tell you that. She can verify it. We'll go places and people will fall all over themselves to try to figure out who I am. It's a strange thing. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm nobody. She's like, no, no, I know you from somewhere. I said, I promise you, you don't know me. I'm, I am nobody. I just want to go to sleep. I try to go to sleep. Well, it so often happens, she Googled me, uh, which is rude. And, and in her Google search, she found out that I was a pastor. And it was like she had been waiting all her life to ask every spiritual question she had ever had from the time of her childhood. And she just started dumping them out. She started dumping them out. What about Mesopotamian religion? Who were the Nephilim? Why were there giants on the earth? Just just laying them out. And eventually my body language signaled to her, I don't want to have this conversation with you. And she could feel it. And what happened next, I will never forget because it cut me so deep. She said, I'm sorry. I thought Christians would be eager to talk about Jesus. I was like, why you got to do that? Don't you see I'm already defeated? I'm so tired. And she left me alone after that. She was completely cordial. She did her job very well. But there was no more real engagement. And I had to sit there with that for a minute. And I had to think about the fact that, hey, I I, I just denied Jesus. Jesus. Deny Jesus, you say to yourself, yes, I deny Jesus. No, I didn't say anything overtly anti-Christ. I didn't say that I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't say that Jesus wasn't all-powerful. I didn't say that I didn't love Jesus. I didn't say that he wasn't the only way. But what I did do was fail to represent him in that moment. Now, disclaimer, do I think that I'm responsible to talk to every single person about every single thing that's on their mind in any given moment? No, neither did I pray to God and discern from him what it is that he wanted from me in that moment. Can I just say a little on the side? So much of our life is lived as functional atheists. Where we just operate without actually asking whose OS we're running. That's why I'm IT people. I know I make a lot of sports jokes. How do we think about y'all? And I'm like, how can I weave Dungeons and Dragons into this sermon? I got, it doesn't always fit. But I try. I just want y'all to know, I do try. Sports just work so great. But I do try. And in that moment, I didn't ask God what he wanted. I didn't pray to God to ask him to discern from him if he wanted me to to engage this woman with the good news of the gospel. And I got to believe that if she was asking me that God had made that appointment and I failed him. Now, why do I share that with you? Because if you can be honest, if you can be honest just, just a little minute, if we could just be honest, you know, we, we, we family, we family. If we could just be honest, every single one of us has denied Jesus. In fact, we could say it this way. I'm, I'm going to use an unnecessarily big word because I liked it. All of us in benign and baneful ways deny and have denied Jesus. Baneful, what does that mean? Well, think about the character bane. Do the word association, right? In benign ways, ways we don't even know. Right? Ways that would seem, you know, things of omission. Right? Like we got the moment, we can seize it, and we're like, "Ah, I don't feel like doing the Jesus thing today. Am I talking? Can we just be real? I don't feel like doing the Jesus thing today. I just want to be a normal person today. Well, your normal is in Jesus, because that's your new normal. And in baneful ways where we're confronted with what we believe and we straight up evade it or deny it or downplay it. What are you doing Sunday? You wanna go out? Nah, I got some stuff. Well, why don't we grab brunch? I'm a little busy. Well, what are you doing? You know, stuff with people in a place. Just tell him I'm going to church. Would you like to come and meet Jesus? We deny Jesus in in baneful and benign ways. And so that leads us back to our question. If a heretic is only denying a principle of Jesus, then what does it make us if we deny Jesus? Well, the life of Peter offers an interesting parallel to the questions that we are asking. In fact, if you want to go ahead and open up, Your Bible. I'm going to start in the book of Luke and I'll jump over to the book of Matthew. In the book of Luke, Dr. Luke tells us that uh, the beginning of Peter's story is an interesting one. He wasn't an overtly religious man. Uh, he, he wasn't a Talmudim. The Talmudim, that's a Hebrew word for uh, a follower of a rabbi who is under the specific tutelage in order to learn their religious practice properly. But he wasn't a Talmudim. He wasn't a uniquely and overtly religious person. He wasn't a PK. He was just a guy who had a business who actually seemed to have a rather contented life. He had worked hard, he had built up this business, he had multiple boats, he had actually uh, had a partnership with another couple guys who had multiple boats. So here we got a four-boat fishing business. And life was pretty settled. Enter Jesus. Jesus always come in when life be pretty settled. (laughs) Jesus had been preaching along the shoreline. Again, you can read this for yourself. And the crowds began to swell. And they began to press in, and Jesus was like, whoa whoa whoa, 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 y'all getting a little clue. You're too close, man. You're too close, man, right? And so on, only the real Dave Chappelle fans got that one. And so, so Jesus sees Peter's two boats sitting in the water, and, and, and he has a bright idea. I'm going to get on these boats, and I'm going to preach from these boats so I can get the proper space I need to do the thing I'm trying to do. And so he says to Peter, can I get on your boat, and can I preach from the boat? And Peter's like, of course, yeah, come on. Now, that tells me that they had some kind of previous engagement, even if it wasn't deep. Or detailed. So he gets on Peter's boat and he's preaching the word, and I'm sure Peter's sitting there like, damn, man, that's pretty good. Like, I ain't never heard it like that before. You know, and Jesus is doing his thing. And then after he gets done, he turns to Peter, and there really is no transition here. He turns to Peter and he's like, Hey, cast out into the deep water. I know you've been fishing all night and you haven't caught anything yet. But if you cast out into the deep water, and if you cast your net to this side, then you're gonna find some fish. I found it interesting, and this is something just for you to think about, in the way that God seems to work. It it, it always baffles me that when Jesus enters our story, very often he immediately pushes us out into the deep end. And we say, why? And he says, because I have to take control from you so that you can learn to trust. And so if I just leave you in water that you know how to navigate, then you might think you're actually doing this. So let me put you somewhere where you don't know how to navigate. And then I'm going to show up and show you how to really get it done. Let it out. Don't hold it back. We are talking church. Let me just take a pause here. We are Presbyterian. We are charismatic. What does that mean? We believe in the doctrines of grace and we shout about it. All right. So let it out. That's what he does. And so Peter obeys. And I imagine if I was Peter, I'd be like, I mean, I've been doing this my whole life. Dude just going to show up and be like, go over there. It's going to be some fish. Listen, y'all laughing, but it's the truth. Y'all better start reading the story. These are human beings. If a dude that you never met, really met before, showed up and said, hey, this is how you going to run your business. I don't want you to buy cars from where you normally buy cars. Go over here and buy some cars. You'll be like, they don't even sell cars over there. Go over here and film your next. One. I can't even get a permit over there. That's exactly how you would be. But I mean, it's a bunch of people out here. I don't want to embarrass them, so let me go over here. <laughs> Says he cast the net to the right side, and the nets filled up so fast they didn't know what to do with them. They began to break. And then he started calling on his voice He said, yo, 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 hey, 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 hey. Help. <laughs> and so Peter and John, or James and John, rather, James and John, they came over, they brought their boats. And the Bible tells us that there were so many fish between these four boats that they began to sink. Peter had a revelation. This dude might be that dude. Like I've been out here all night. And I ain't catch nothing. And he was here for five minutes. He was like, over there, game, blouses, right? So Peter, yeah, I'm, I'm on one right now. So Peter, my voice came back. Y'all don't understand, my voice is going The first service is back, I'm gonna act up. So Peter is overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by this moment and look what he says. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm going to move this back. Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And you should think to yourself, why is that the reaction? All he did was catch some fish, right? Here's my postulation. When we see Jesus as he truly is, we cannot help but see who we truly are without him. All of a sudden, Peter had a revelation. This ain't just a guy, this that dude. And I don't even know if I'm worthy to be in his presence. In fact, I heard John, when John came about them woods with his hair locked, covered in honey, and eating locusts, he was like, it's one coming. I'm not even fit, you know, I mean, I really, that's how I imagine. He was like, I'm not even fit to carry old boy sandal. You know, I had heard that. And now I think it might be true. And he's overwhelmed. Jesus, on the other hand, is undaunted and undeterred. Look at it for yourself. Jesus don't even pay no mind to that. Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Never you mind, son. Because what you saw today, this is just the beginning. You thought you were put on this planet just to build this business. No, in fact, you were put on this planet to end break this kingdom. And now you're going to become a fisher of People. Fast forward three years. Fast forward three years. A lot has happened. From that moment, the crew has grown. Okay? And, and now, Jesus is surrounded by 12 core disciples and at least 60 other men and women. How do we know that? what did you get that number, Pastor? Well, go to your Bible. And it says that when they started to do ministry in the book of Luke, Jesus began to take them out and then he called them in, he took them out, he called them in. And then what did he say? He sent out the, how many? You remember? 72, okay? So that's 12 plus 60, 72. Don't have to go to school for that. All right? And they are living in this incredible rhythm. Jesus shows up, does a miracle, preaches the good news. The people go crazy. The disciples go, what was that all about? Jesus pulls them aside and says, and they go, but it don't stick. And so then they do it again. And again, and again, Jesus, the woman with the issue of blood touches Jesus. He says, I felt power go out of me. The disciples say, get away from him. Jesus says, i let her do it. Back up. And then he tells them. This is the ministry of the Son of Man. Little girl dies. Jesus shows up. She's only sleeping. Ha, ha, ha. You're stupid. The professional mourners are here. He was like, oh, I am? Watch this. Talitha. Kumi, baby girl, get up. They walk back downstairs. The disciples like, whoa. Jesus is like, I had told y'all. And so this is the rhythm of their life and their ministry. I would love to do the whole Bible. It would be my joy. One day I'll get my own Bible translation. And then God was like, it's finna pop off. Right, that's, that's Genesis chapter one. In all of these interactions, there's a common thread. Jesus repeatedly tries to help them understand the story that God is telling. That he is the long-awaited Christ. And that he must die. So that God can restore the world the way he's promised. And over and over again, they hear it. But for some reason, it just, it just misses them. Well, now that moment has finally arrived. That's what we're going to pick up. That moment has finally arrived, and and Matthew tells us that in preparation for this moment, Jesus wants to give them the first communion. I don't have time to unpack this whole thing, but he tells the disciples, go into the city. You're going to see a guy. Tell him the teacher needs his house so that they can do the Passover meal. The guys go in. They say, yo, Jesus needs your house. And the dude's like, here's the keys. Wow, right? And they go into this room, and they perform the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal... For those of you who are unfamiliar, it was a Jewish celebration of what God did when he was rescuing them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Okay, part of the testimony that we heard last week in Rahab's story, where Rahab was like, you don't understand. We've been hearing these stories for 40 years. God not playing with these people, and that's why we all scared. So please, when the shooting starts, look out for me and mine. So Jesus takes the Passover that has been celebrated for generations, and he flips it. And he says, now I need you to understand that in this new covenant, in this new covenant it's not about the blood of bulls and goats it's not about your sacrifice it's not about your works remember what God said to the prophet Ezekiel that he's going to take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh and that he's going to write his laws on your heart that you're not going to need them in books and you're not going to need them in talismans and you're not going to need them on boxes on your head and it's not going to be about how you behave it's going to be about what I did and you stepping into it and believing it that's what he tells his disciples That's what they're getting ready to do in this Passover meal. And so they go there for the meal. And while they were eating, Jesus says, and this is in the Hebrew. You won't see this in English. Okay? So stay with me. Jesus says, no cap, one of y'all going to betray me. It's in the Hebrew. You can't see that in English. It's in the Hebrew. (laughs) One of y'all going to betray me. Okay? And every single one of them in succession. So you read it for yourself. They said, not me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not me. Surely not me, surely not me. And Jesus with no chill at all. This is why I love Jesus. Now again, set the scene, okay? First of all, you cannot imagine them like this, okay? That's not how they ate. They didn't eat sitting up. They ate reclining at the table, right? So the table would be in the middle and everybody would be like this, right? <laughs> Big chip. So those of us who enjoy Sunday football and laying on the side eating chips like this from your stomach, Jesus ordains that. So, they reclined at the table in front of everybody. Jesus says, one of y'all going to betray me. Everybody says, not me, not me, not me, not me. And Jesus says, and I love it, in front of everybody. He said, it's the one who dipped his hand in the bowl with me. I mean, just called the man out in front of everybody. And Judas is like... Surely not me, (laughs) rabbi. Now, sometimes we read a word and we don't read the word. Here's what I mean. What is a rabbi? A rabbi is a teacher, a professional in the law. A rabbi is not a friend. A rabbi is not a savior. But for three years... Three years, you've been with Jesus every day, every day. And what has Jesus said to you over and over again? No greater love does a man have than this, but to lay down his life for his students, for his friends. Who do men say that I am? That's why you got to read your Bible. Who did men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're this one, and some say you're that one, and some say you're the prophet. But who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you're the son of the living God, the Savior, the Christ. The triumphal entry. They rolled into town. And everybody is singing out, son of David, save us. Son of David, save us. Surely this is a king and the Pharisees get mad. And Jesus says, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Yeah. Judas was standing there. Ooh, I feel like preaching today. Judas was standing there when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, before Abraham was, I am. So when I'm reading and I'm like, you know, doggone well, this ain't just no rabbi. Why are you so disrespectful, Judas? Because Judas had a complete disconnect. And Judas had come to associate proximity to Jesus with belief in Jesus. He didn't see him as he was. And so when the pressure got on, he called him what he really believed him to be, just a teacher. No matter how many times he had literally experienced him as a friend and seen him as a savior. Not I, rabbi. And what does Jesus say? I love it. Again, no chill. You said it. (laughs) That's what you said. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what happens next. But if we go over to John, we can get some details on the story. It says, after he stuck his hand in the bowl and touched the bread, the spirit of Satan entered into him. I don't have time to unpack that today. And Jesus, noting the transformation that was taking place before his eyes, said, do quickly what you're going to do. Now, everybody else laying around the table is like, I wonder what he's talking about. Maybe he's going out to get some food for the poor. Maybe he's getting all the rest of the supplies for the festival. What do you think? We should go with blue or red, right? <laughs> but Judas goes out, received the piece of bread, and he left immediately. It was night. Again, I don't have time. I preached the book of John for seven years. Seven years. I don't have time to get into that, but uh, John uses allusions on purpose. There's a reason he told you it was night so that you understand the darkness parallel, darkness out, darkness in. right? So that's what happens. Judas goes out. The rest of them stay together. They sing a hymn. I love this. I think there's few things more powerful than a bunch of dudes singing worship songs together, right? Anybody grew up in a church with a men's choir? Wasn't that your favorite day? Dudes just be yelling. Like they don't, every dude in the church, you know half of them can't sing, but they can shout on key, right? So, So they're just yelling and everybody excited, right? You remember that song, oh praises be to that. And then the dudes go, hallelujah. And all the women said to and go, let's go, Gary. Like that's, that's what church like with a men's choir. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know Gary can't sing. You're just excited that he's up there yelling for Jesus and you hope he don't get back in the streets this evening. So all the men sing together and then they leave. And on their way out, Jesus says to them something that was Surely disturbing for them. He says, tonight, all of y'all are going to fall away from me. You're going to run. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Okay, that reference is in your Bible, that event. So you can know what Old Testament verse that is. And everybody, again, in succession, what do you think they say? Not me, not me, not me, not me. Not me. Now, history tells us that John ran so hard that they ran him right about his clothes. They went to reach for him, and he was like, "Who, Walter Payton, gone. <laughs> took, that, took his clothes. He kept going. And Jesus insists, no, you're going to fall away, but after I'm raised up, here it is again. After I'm raised up, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. And then Peter, oh, Peter, sweet Peter, Peter, he can't help himself even if all fall away because of you. Now again, you gotta remember they're in front of everybody. So he like, you and you and you and you. I don't care if none of these boys fall. I'm gonna be right here, holding you down, ride or die to the end, strapped and ready, which is true, we'll get that in a minute. He was strapped and ready, but <laughs> he was strapped and ready. If everybody else leaves, I'm not going nowhere. If they could fall, I'm going to stand tall. Jesus says, Come in, Peter. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows, meaning before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me tonight three times. Now, you would think, oh, you would think, right? <laughs> Like, am I the only person that I, I watch certain movies and television shows and I get anxious for the people in the television show? Is that just me? Right. Like the office has some cringy moments and my wife would tell you, am I, I leave the room. I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And I just go to the other room until it's over with. It's real talk. Real talk. No, not Scott's Toss. It was, uh, it was, it was the one where he put the golden ticket in and then he got found out. And then the white got the credit, and then he wanted the credit. And I was like, oh, God, this is so bad. And I just, I just left the room. That's how I felt reading this. I got to the verse, and I was like, please, Peter, don't say nothing. Please don't say nothing. Please just don't say nothing for once. Just don't say nothing. Jesus just told you that you're going to deny him, and you're going to stand here and say, nah, Jesus, you're wrong. Now, before we judge... Before we judge, how many times I've been like, "Nah, Jesus, I think I, I think I got it." He like, "Don't go over there." He like, "I'm like, no, I'm I'm walking in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead." He's like, "I put that in there, and I'm telling you not to go." <laughs> You're gonna deny me three times. Peter goes, "Let me tell you something, Jesus. <laughs> I know you, Jesus." But let me tell you, I was once a successful business owner. And I'm telling you, even if I got to die, I'm not going to deny you. Now, here's my favorite reply of Jesus in the Bible. You know what? Just sit down while I go pray. I'm not even going to... I can't do this no more. Just, just sit down while I go pray. Just sit down while. You know what? You know what? Just sit. Right? And, and that's what he does. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know this story. He prays. He's sweating great drops of blood. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was so distressed about what was coming. I'm going to skip that. He was so distressed about what was coming that he said, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was in anguish. Why? Because for the first time, for the first time in eternity, he was going to be separated from the Father temporarily so that we could be permanently united to the Father eternally. And that was the anguish. He wasn't scared of the cross. The Bible says that he went with what? Anybody know? Joy to the what? Call set before him. He wasn't scared of the cross. He told Pilate, I'm not shook. Pilate was like, I'm gonna kill you. Jesus was like, you can't kill me. Nobody takes my life from me, I give it away. You think you taking something? Nah, baby boy, I'm putting this on the table to give you a chance to get right. Didn't your wife tell tell you don't bother me? Listen to your wife now. I'm just letting you know. That's free game. Listen to your wife. You might not kill the Savior of the world. So, right after Jesus finished praying, what does the narrative tell us? That Judas and the squad roll up. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders. Now, the betrayer had given the Messiah, saying, when I kiss him, then you'll know it's him. It's just a little side note, man. Y'all be careful who y'all let kiss on, y'all. And I ain't talking about it in an intimate way. Follow the analogy. Y'all be careful who you let get too close. You know what's not wrong, right? I'm going to show y'all three levels of relationship. You ready? Right champ. Yeah. Right yeah. Right yeah. Okay, you gotta have discernment. Who get up in here? Okay, because people will kiss you right on your face. Why they waiting? And that's what Jesus did. Now, his greeting tells you he right where he started. Greetings, Rabbi. Jesus is still just a teacher to him. And how does Jesus reply? This is Jesus is so good. Greetings, teacher. What you doing, friend? friend, what have you come for? Now, you think Jesus didn't know why he was there? No, Jesus is so sweet, so tender, so kind that he is still giving Judas a chance to wake up and realize what he's about to do. Judas doesn't see it. They go and they try to lay hands on Jesus and what did we say just a moment ago? Peter was strapped up and ready. Now, I had a sword. I have a sword. I have two swords. And I was going to bring my sword. And then I was advised that was was probably not the best idea. So my swords, <laughs> my swords are still at the house. It was going to be dramatic. I was going to be like, <laughs> right? Um, but, but I didn't bring my swords. I'm, I'm kind of feeling some kind of way about it. But. but Peter, ever ready. They go to lay hands on Jesus. Peter said, oh, oh, oh. oh. He go, oh dog, real quick. Back up, back up, back up, back up. Oh, let me see everybody's hands, let me see everybody's hands. Dude lunge, he go, pop, pop, ear gone, right? And in that moment, he was probably standing there proud. Like, see Jesus, I told you. They come for you, they come for me. They get at you, they get at me. They try to touch you, they touching me. They touching me, they getting this heat, right? And it said, Jesus rebukes him. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I don't need you to back me up. Listen, let me tell y'all something. Jesus don't need you to defend him. He just wants you. Come on. (laughs) How a baby defend a lion. Come on now. Jesus don't need you to defend him. He just needs you to say that you are who you are and stand in it. And Jesus tells Peter, I didn't need you. I love you, but I need you. I love you. But I don't need you. If I need a backup, I can call on my Father. I can get a hundred angels here right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm the Old Testament OG too. I'm the same God that be opening up grounds, right? So if I wanted them to get it, they could get it. But this is the way that it has to be to fulfill the Word of God. Zechariah, God promises that the Savior will come, and the Savior has to die so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. This is where the story takes a bit of an ugly turn, and I'm going to try to pick it up here. So they take Jesus, and they beat Jesus, and spit on Jesus, and mock Jesus, and, and dehumanize Jesus. And Peter follows along closely. I told you, everybody else is gone. John ran naked, out of his clothes. Peter follows along closely, and he ends up in this courtyard. We read it together already. And as soon as they see him, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wasn't you with Jesus? And Peter says, I'm going to shut A few minutes go by. And somebody else says, wait, no, nah, hold on now. I am pretty sure that I saw you with Jesus. And he swears an oath. Now. Swearing an oath, what it means is that you actually invite the weight of God's name and authority to undergird the words you're saying. Hold on to that. Says he swears an oath and he says, I do not know the man. Now this hurt me. Because all of a sudden your friend has been depersonalized to the man. And it hurt me, not because I'm looking down on Peter, but because I'm looking at myself and thinking a number of times that I diminished who Jesus was because I was embarrassed to be seen with him. I don't know the man. Well, apparently that bought Peter a little bit of time. And and, and so he goes to another part of the courtyard. But it says, after a little while, somebody else came up and they said, certainly, hold on now. I can't tell by the look of you, but I hear it in, I hear it in your speech. Your accent betrays you. You've been with Jesus. Just as an aside and something for you to think about later, listen, even when we try to deny Jesus, an attentive person can tell that we've still been with him. Why? Because once you've been with Jesus, there are undeniable changes that take place that no matter how much you try to push it down, it is going to bubble up. Your words betray you the way you talk about the subject matter betrays you the way you're engaged in this moment betrays you the way you treat the outcasts in this school betrays you the way you engage it betrays you you say you're not one of them and this is where it gets really ugly peter says first a curse and the way i grew up i didn't grow up in church i grew up around church i grew up church adjacent and the way i was taught is that peter cussed right Anybody else had that interpretation? Yeah. And he was like, F this, I don't know him. Like, that's, and so I was like, so don't be cussing. I'm like, I don't think that's the application for that scripture. But, <laughs> but that's not actually what happened. Two things happened. What it said he began to curse, he's invoking a curse. And then he's swearing an oath. So let me break it down for you. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, a curse be upon me and mine if I know this man. Because I swear before God that I don't know this man. And if I'm lying, a curse be upon me and mine. Now, if Jesus is God, and we believe that he is, then this man just said, I swear to God, And believe me, a curse be upon me if I'm lying. I swear to God that I don't know God. And if I knew God, which I swear to God I don't know God, if I knew God, then a curse be on me for lying about knowing God. At that moment, at that moment, we hear, As in lieu of the sword, <laughs> safer. The rooster crows. And like a ton of bricks, Peter realizes Jesus was right. I wasn't standing as firm as I thought I was. That's why Paul says what? Watch your life and doctrine stand firm lest she fall. wasn't standing and it says he went out and he wept bitterly well things go quiet for a little while in peter's story at least in matthew's gospel but if we turn over to john we find peter fishing again you see there's something fascinating about human nature for those of us who are followers of the way of jesus that whenever we fail big we always run back to what's familiar and that's what he did. I know this game, so I'm gonna go back to fishing. And he, and he calls a couple of the brothers together and he says, hey, let's, let's, let's go fishing. And I want you to catch these parallels. While they're out fishing, they're, they're fishing for some time. And guess what? John tells you, they don't catch anything. And then they see a man standing on the shore. And the man says from the shore, hey, Cast the net on the right side. Now, the Bible didn't say why they listened. I imagine it was kind of a auto-response. There, there, there was a deep calling to deep. There was a, there was a wrecking, I, I, I've been here before. The Bible says they cast the net on the right side and, 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 and that the net swelled up so much that it started to break and they pulled in 153 fish at one time and something went off in Peter's brain. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is familiar. This is too familiar. This is, this is too familiar. I've been here before. I know that voice. I know that voice. I, I, I know that voice. I can't, I'm straining to, I know that it's Jesus. And he's risen like he said he would. It says that Peter stripped off his outer garment and he plunged into the sea. And he swam toward Jesus. And how did Jesus greet him? You stupid idiot. I told you you would screw this up. You're a failure just like your father. No, no, that's the accuser of the brother. Those are the voices he believed that drove him back to fishing in the first place. No, 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 Jesus says, come, come here, come here. Come here, come and sit down by this fire. Now I'm sure that was a little triggering for Peter. Because the last time he sat down by a fire, he was denying that he even knew the man sitting in front of him. And Jesus says, come, 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 come and sit by this fire. And he begins to cook him breakfast. And I always have loved this because what is more healing than somebody you hurt actually making you breakfast? Do you see the parallel? When Peter was called He was fishing when he was recalled, he was fishing. When Peter denied Jesus, it was by a fire. When Jesus received Peter, it was by a fire. And then we have this exchange. And essentially, essentially, Jesus meets the weight of Peter's decision. With the weight of his glory. Had you ever seen that? Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus restores him. You see, I was taught wrong. Can I say that I was taught wrong? I was taught that Jesus was trying to convince Peter that 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 he needed to do the work. When in fact, what Jesus was doing was reminding Peter who he was always meant to be. He was reminding Peter, "I know you failed, but I still trust you to feed my sheep. I know you fell apart, but I still trust you to tend my lambs. I know you didn't get it right, but I still trust you to feed my lambs. Do you love me?" Not not because I don't believe it, but do you believe it? Do you believe that because you failed, you can't love me anymore? Do you believe because you denied me, you can't love me anymore? Do you believe because you turned your back, you can't love me anymore? No, I put that love in you and you can't even take it away. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep because that is who you are. I will not allow you to be the sum of the last worst thing you three times Peter denied him three times Jesus restored him three times Peter said I don't know you three times Jesus says but I know you and I still love you forgive my excitement But you see, I'm a man that's been forgiven much. When I sat in my study and wrote this, I wept, and the tears hit the keys like drums. I could hear them because I remember the many times that Jesus came looking for me when I was not looking for him. Peter wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus was looking for him. What's the word for us today? And I'm out your way. Denying Jesus does not permanently disqualify you from doing remarkable things with him. And we know this. Peter went on to write part of the New Testament. He went on to plant churches. He went on to lead the church. Guess what? And he denied Jesus again. And had to be rebuked by a brother named Paul, whose life we're going to look at next week. But in the end, he gave his life, his literal life, for the cause of the gospel. Because his denial didn't define him. My God, what defined him was his response when Jesus came looking. So my question to you today. If you've denied Jesus, okay, and you will again, but when he comes for you, will you plunge and run toward him? If you do that, nothing else before that moment matters. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus. That this word would be sealed to our hearts and that we would understand with absolute clarity that even if we deny you, when you come for us, if we turn towards you, you will receive us tenderly. You will not push us away. You will love us just as you found. And refuse to leave us there. In Christ's name.